You have just made the best decision of your day by choosing to listen to the Holistic Bitches Unfiltered Podcast with me, Leslie Rubinoff, the OG Holistic Bitch. You're guaranteed to laugh, have a what the fuck moment, and truly be inspired to change small things in your life that will have you reaping the rewards of living a truly holistic life, mind, body, and soul. Welcome back to the Holistic Bitches Unfiltered with your host, Leslie Rubinoff, the OG Holistic Bitch. And today we have my friend, Niku Loesch, who is a mom of three, a wife to a former MLB pitcher, Kyle Loesch, master's Pilates instructor, yoga teacher, lover of all things movement, mindfulness, and community. Niku is a serial entrepreneur. And she is a badass bitch. She started her first company at 21 doing sales and marketing for a Fortune 500 company. She made her first million at 24 and decided to exit at 30 in order to pursue her passions for helping others. She became a yoga and Pilates bar and mindfulness instructor, but her own struggle with SIBO and postpartum depression led her to redefine the way she took care of her body. Now as a holistic coach, she is on a mission to empower women and help them heal their gut through nutrition, movement, and spirituality. Welcome my girl, Niku. I am so excited to have you here. Hello. Hello, Leslie. So blessed to be here. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And guess where we met? We met up in the club. What, what? (laughs) And Clubhouse has just really been this amazing magnetic connector. And I'm just meeting amazing people. And both myself and Nico are on that similar mission to change lives. And we have a similar sort of story. So I want to get into it. And today's topic is the ongoing struggle of depression. So my first question, Nico, define what depression means to you. Depression to me just means not feeling like your best self, feeling down, feeling sad, feeling like you don't have purpose. You don't have drive. You're lacking mental clarity. I mean, I know from my own experience, when I feel depressed, I'm either chronically tired and fatigued and just wanted to go back to bed and sleep all day or I wanted to binge eat and just like eat my emotions away. Like literally give me all the sugar. I would sit there and eat an entire gallon of cookies and cream dryers, ice cream to like flood my, um, my feelings really. So depression can, can come in so many different forms, but it's just, it's not being your best self. Amazing. And I'm sure after you ate that gallon, how amazing you felt. <laughs> yeah, I felt good eating it. And then I felt sure. even better afterwards, you know, gut wrenching pain, breaking out the next day, all that good stuff. And it's a vicious cycle, right? Like it's a vicious mm-hmm. cycle of feeling shitty, eating to light up the neurotransmitters, those feel goods, and then going back into that really shitty feeling again. Um, and it's no fun. So when would you say you first had an understanding of depression or that you were depressed? Um, how deep do we want to go here? Cause there will be some trigger warnings. Okay. Let's trigger them. Yeah, let's trigger. So when I was in middle school, I was in the eighth grade, my father was diagnosed with, um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. And he was only 42 years old at the time. And I was devastated. I was like, there's no way, like 
this is my idol. He's so healthy. He works out every day. Like there, there's no way. Um, and it really kind of like flustered me. And I think seeing him through his journey and like not knowing if he would make it, that really scared me. And then I started to operate from a place of fear, of scarcity, of lack, of confusion. Um, my connection with faith and my belief in God started to gradually disappear over time. And it wasn't until I started to really experience things in my own life, not just my father, what he was going through with his battle with, with cancer, but I started to become victim to different forms of abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and unfortunately in high school, sexual abuse as well, that I started to feel these like deep seated feelings of like, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. So when I was in high school, I did try to end my life on two different occasions and it didn't, it didn't work out well. <laughs> Obviously I'm still here. So that's like a blessing, but I feel like a higher power, a greater purpose, call it God, call it source energy, call it universe, call it whatever it is that you believe in wasn't done with me yet. They knew that I had a mission and a purpose and there was a reason why I was here. So they kept bringing me back. Um, I, yeah. So I did a lot of things in high school that were um, very uncharacteristic of the person that I am today. I, I was a cutter and that was because I needed attention. I needed people to know that I was hurting inside. I overdosed multiple times. I mean, I literally would just go and clear out all the cancer medication and take it all and just hope that I'd be gone, chase it down with a 40 type of thing. Um, yeah, it wasn't and fun. And were you, do you remember being labeled that you had depression? Like, did that come at that young of an age or was it a little bit later on? Yeah. Um, so I had to go to therapy, obviously. Uh, the first time that I tried to end my life, they actually, they checked me into an, an inpatient um, hospital. So I was there and it was for the entire month of December. So I spent Christmas there and that was fun, but it was because my my mom didn't know what to do with me. She's like, I, you're always cutting yourself. I can't trust you not to go and take my, my medication. Cause she had a ton of medications for her issues and then my dad's medication. So they checked me in and that was kind of scary. Cause obviously people at school realized I was missing from school, but to this day, I don't know that anyone knows where I was. I think they just thought I went on a really glamorous family vacation for <laughs> December and cut out of school two weeks earlier than our two week winter break. Um, but yeah, I was diagnosed with major depression and it was, um, diagnosed stemming from trauma, from the trauma of abuses that I had encountered physical, emotional, and sexual. It was trauma from my father being diagnosed, diagnosed with cancer and going through that whole battle. And it was trauma from my parents on their way to becoming separated and then the divorce. So that's kind of what led to my depression. And once they gave you, you know, they told you, okay, Niku, you're depressed, like you're clinically diagnosed depressed. What did you associate with that? Man, that's a really good question. Um, I can't remember the name of the movie, but there was a movie that came out around the same time about this girl that was just cutting all the time and trying to get like all this attention. And I associated myself with that broken girl. Like this person is just not normal, um, cannot be loved, will never be a good mom. Cause how could you be a good mom when you're doing all this crazy stuff? Right. 
Um, so I really started to associate myself as being crazy, to be honest. Yeah, that was kind of the word I was looking for because it's like someone gets diagnosed with a mental disorder and you're obviously you're crazy, you're off your rocker, you're not a functioning member of society, but let's really look at how many people are dealing with the same thing. I mean, it's millions and millions of people and the stigmas attached to it are just it's the problem, I think. I don't think mental disease is the problem. I think the stigmas attached to mental disease are the problem and the shame that people put on that. And then, you know, would you say that, you know, after you got this diagnosis, did you feel ashamed? Like, were you embarrassed? Like, did you yeah. want to share that with everybody you knew? I definitely don't want to share it with anyone, especially at school. Like who's going to go to high school where we're already being bullied for not being pretty enough or I was Persian. So I had very hairy arms, like very hairy arms. So they would call me like gorilla or monkey or chimpanzee. Like the last thing I wanted to be was the hairy Persian that also was crazy and depressed and cutting herself. And let's know that like Nico is gorgeous. She's so <laughs> beautiful inside and out. She's absolutely stunning. And I'm so sad that that's, you know, unfortunately that people are assholes, you know, but we learned that later in life, it's not had nothing to do with you and everything to do with themselves and their lack and their insecurity and their, their voids in their lives. So when you were diagnosed, was medication the first route? Yeah. They were like, okay, so you're depressed. We're going to put you on Prozac. And then Prozac wasn't working. So then they switched me to Zoloft and then Zoloft wasn't working. You know, every medication they put me on caused a side effect. Um, something, not only were they not fixing my symptoms, but they were causing new issues. And then, you know, I was probably on five different medications, Prozac, Zoloft, Lexapro, Lamectal. I can't even remember the other ones, but they kept switching me from medication to medication. So I was like a, a human guinea pig. And now fast forward 19 years later from when I first started to take all those medications, I've realized that a lot of those chemicals that I was putting in my body from the age of 15 to 22, while they were trying to solve my mental issues with SSRIs, right? They caused a lot of issues with my gut. So they caused me to have SIBO, leaky gut, which caused me to then have a poor immune system, which caused me to have further mood disorders, further, not just depression, but depression and anxiety. Because when your gut is broken, that's going to affect all the other parts of your body because your body's trying to heal your gut. And that's not really functioning well with your immune system, your reproductive system, your cardiovascular system, your brain system, like there's a gut brain connection. So it was perpetuating the problem. It didn't solve my problem of depression it numbed me and it made me not feel joy. So yes, they help you not feel sad. For me, not only did it not help me not feel sad, but it also felt made me not feel joy. So there was zero benefits for me with all those medications. And there was a ton of new symptoms that were introduced and side effects from them. And at any point, did someone say, hey, Niku, how are these meds making you feel? Or again, when, when maybe you express them, what was the feedback? let's try something else. So I had to go to a, psychologist, a psychologist every week or sometimes twice a week. And I have to go to a psychiatrist once a week or once every two weeks, minimum once a month to be evaluated for how the medications uh, were working for me. And their first question was always, how do you feel today? And I always told them, I still feel like shit. I still feel sad. I don't feel well. And not only do I feel sad, but I actually don't feel as happy as I used to feel. I feel like you kind of numbed me and just put me in the middle 
And I don't like that. Um, and what they would say, their response was, okay, let's try a different one. This one's not working for you. Let's switch you to this one. And the problem with those antidepressants is they start you on a low grade and then they build it up. Maybe five milligrams isn't enough. Let's go to 10. 10 isn't enough. Let's go to 20. 20 isn't enough. Let's go to 40. And you can't just switch from one med to the other. Then you have to downgrade from 40 to 20 to 10. So it's a cycling up and a cycling down, switch new medication, cycle up, cycle down, switch new medication. Think about what that's doing to someone's body. Right. And I think that's something that's just totally negated. They don't, yeah. you know. And I did that for seven years. That. Seven yeah. years. That's a long time. And while you were on the, the medications, what, what were some of those side effects that stood out for you? Um, bloating, constipation, acne, uh, which that kills your confidence and makes you more depressed, especially when you're in high school and going into college. Um, feeling numb, like not being able to feel my emotions to the full extent, including the good ones like joy and pride and love um, and gratitude. I just kind of felt like I was just there. And when you would talk about those, you know, when you would bring those forward, what, like, besides them saying, let's put you on another pill, what, what, what was the support? There really wasn't much support. It was just, how is everything going with your counseling? Do you like your therapist? I have another person I can introduce you to. They just kept keeping me in that system of going to therapy, spending a hundred plus dollars a session. You know, my current therapist is $250 an hour. She's a really good one. Um, but my one back then when you're, and here's another thing to remember. I, I was an emancipated minor. So I divorced myself from my parents. So I was completely supporting myself. So $100 per hour for therapy, $150 per hour for therapy back in 2002 as a 15-year-old, that's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> so that caused me a lot of stress. It was, yeah, it was a I'm lot more sure. hours hostessing at TGI Fridays, a lot more hours photocopying papers at State Farm where I was an office assistant. That was really stressful. Yeah. So it's a little bit different in the U.S. in the sense that you guys have to pay for um, everything. And in Canada, the system's a little bit different. Not that it's any better because the healthcare mm -hmm. here is not, not fantastic, but it just happens to be free. Um, that doesn't mean medication's free. I mean, people have insurance and whatnot, but um, yeah. It's, it's a cycle. So, you know, when, when you were in this position, did you feel that you were isolating yourself and getting rid of not just people, but things like not having any desire or momentum or motivation to really live? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it got to a point where I was sick and tired of the vicious cycle. I thought that I was broken. And I can never be fixed. And I was like, what's the point? So it just further perpetuated this thought and feeling of, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm tired of being a guinea pig. I'm tired of feeling this way, physically, emotionally, and mentally. So did you push people away? A hundred percent. I was engaged to my high school sweetheart and I self-sabotaged that relationship I got engaged to who I thought was the love of my life. And then my father passed away and I ruined, literally self-sabotaged my engagement um, with that person. I catch myself even doing that now sometimes, you know? Yeah. And, and what do you think it takes to break, to, to break the cycle essentially? Like, what do you, what, what does it take to break that cycle? Number one, and maybe having, you haven't broken it. Maybe you're still in the cycle. Yeah, I'm still working through it, but it's it's totally different, right? There's like levels of depression and levels of this. So 
where at 19 to 21 was the worst, where I was like a level 10 out of 10. And it was, I was just, I was crazy. I had anger issues. If things were coming apart, I would just punch a wall. I mean, I have a boxer's fracture from punching a wall because I was so angry with what was going on in my life. Um, now it's just some, when I get sad, I get very sad to the point where I just, I need to go to sleep. I just need to shut down completely. I need to log off and I completely isolate myself from everyone, my friends, my family. I just need to be left alone. I I'm not open to hearing or receiving any sort of help and advice because I just feel so incredibly overwhelmed and anxious. Like my heart's racing. I just feel like I'm going to throw up. So what have I done to mitigate that? Number one, finding a really good therapist, someone that is truly listening to you and not just like, all right, your session, sorry, Nikki. So how do you feel today? And then just nodding for an hour, but someone that's really like having a dialogue, going back and forth, helping me understand my feelings, understand my thought process and break that thought process, reset my mindset, reset my thinking and the words that I use. So an NLP practitioner, neuro-linguistic practitioner has helped me a lot with the words that I use because your words change your vibration. That's helped me with my mindset. My therapist who is incredible and she understands physiology, hormones, all of that. She's really helped me understand how I feel is stemming from things that are happening within my body that are coming from my nutrition. They're coming from my sleep. They're coming from my hydration. They're coming with from my addictions and my addictions are work-related. I'm addicted to being a perfectionist and I'm addicted to working and that's not healthy. So she's been helping me create balance in my life, which has really helped me bring more joy into my life. And then establishing things like a mindfulness practice, breath work, um, prayer has helped me a lot, like connecting back to source energy, back to my spirituality. And as of late, just learning how to have better work-life balance. These are things that have really helped me. Right. And if we, if we just rewind a little bit and we go back, um, where, what do you think the root cause of this was? What was the deep pain? What was the emotional stuff that was there that led you into the cycle of the dark hole of depression? You know, I can tell you that I never knew cutting was an option until I saw that movie of a girl cutting herself. As a 15-year-old who would think, let's go grab a knife and just slice my wrist. Who would have thought that? So I think media opened my eyes to the possibilities, unfortunately. That's why I'm very careful right now with what I allow my children to watch because I don't need them being influenced with even options that they don't believe in just to even know that that's an option there. Um, that, that was a major part of it, but what really caused the depression? I don't know. I think some of it is genetic, to be honest with you. My mom's bipolar, you know, my dad suffered with anxiety and panic attacks. So I think some of it was genetically passed down in my disposition and seeing the type of people that my mom and dad were, um, for sure. And then just not having the techniques and the tools to ground myself in presence. I was always either running from the past or chasing the future. Mm-hmm. And did, do you think that created your cycle of perfectionism and the desire to want to feel validated, not just yourself, but like almost like a sense of, I need to prove myself to everybody because nobody sees me? 1000%. Yeah. It's a fear of not being significant, a fear of being crazy, a fear of being broken. I don't want to be broken. I want to show that I'm whole. Right. And did that, like, t- 
tell us about the story. Cause I, I mean, we've, we've spoken about it, but you know, making that much money at a young age, there's, there's complexity to that. And there's definitely ramifications to that. Um, talk about it a bit. Yeah. So when I was 21 years old, I started a sales and marketing company doing in-store branding um, and promotions for Home Depot. At 24, I made my first million in that business. Um, by the time I exited, we had over 40 offices nationwide. I had over 400 employees. I mean, highly successful, living the life, as people would say, living in Playa del Rey with an ocean view and a marina view and driving along Pacific Coast you know, along the, the ocean on my way to the office every day, it was all good. The problem is a lot of people, especially, I, I mean, I think this is a woman thing, right? They didn't look at my successes self-earned. They looked at it as, oh, she slept her way to the top. So they start to make up all these stories because how could a woman go and be successful and make a million dollars in three years? A man can do it, but if a woman does it, she, she did it the wrong way. She slept her way to the top. So there was a lot of that nasty gossip going around and, I don't know. It was just really interesting um, seeing in that corporate culture, the men that succeeded didn't have to deal with those same type of stories as the women. That was really interesting. So there was a lot of ramification there. Um, and then when you are that successful and you do make that much money, if you're not in a relationship, it's very hard to date because as a 24 year old who's making seven figures a year, driving the kind of car I was driving, it was very intimidating to the guys around my age that weren't at that level. So it made relationships very challenging for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and did you get to a point of burnout? A hundred percent. At 25 years old, I had my first full blown panic attack. I was sitting in my office. I had just finished doing a whole round of interviews. I was getting ready for my morning meeting my sales guys were there and they're ready for me to go in there and pump them up and get them ready for the day, set the goals, et cetera. And as I'm going over my notes for what I'm going to talk about, I started to feel my heart start racing. And it went from heart racing to my throat closing. And it went from that to my hands getting clammy. And then I felt like I was about to pass out. And then it full on felt like I was having a heart attack. And I broke down to my knees, was laying on the floor. My assistant came in. She's like, what's wrong? I was like, I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. Take me to the hospital. I'm having a heart attack. So she did. They took me to the ER. And they said I was having, I wasn't having a heart attack. I was having a panic attack. They gave me Xanax right then and there, which calmed me down. Um, they, they talked to me. They, they definitely said that I needed to talk to a therapist, work on work-life balance. I was, I was too, I was too much, right? My acetylcholine was super high. My dopamine was super high. My serotonin was really low. My GABA was really low. So my neurotransmitters were completely imbalance that was causing me to have these cycles of panic attacks, which happened five more times in the next year and a half from 25 to 26. And I remember being 26 and looking at myself in the mirror one day and saying, this isn't normal, feeling like I'm dying because my stress level, my cortisol is so high, is not normal. All the success, the accolades, the achievements, the awards, the fame, the money, the fortune, the freedom to, to, be my own boss and travel and do all these things, it's not worth it if I'm literally going to feel like I'm dying three, four, five times a year. And that's when the burnout set in. I just said, I don't want it. I don't want it anymore. I want, I want out. And that's when God brought into my life, my husband, I met him at 27 years old. And I feel like I had to be in the position I was in for him to see me because as a professional athlete, he wasn't just going to, you know, allow an anybody to sit next to him and have that conversation. And 
and he, he liked, he liked that I had my own thing going. So that was kind of like the way that our relationship started. And then we just, honestly, we became best friends and we fell in love and the rest was history. And I remember we, we dated for a year and a half or no, just a year. We did long distance for a year. And at the one year mark, he said, this long distance thing isn't going to work. If we're going to make this work, we need to be together in the same city. And he was willing to compromise with me. He moved out to California. He was living in Arizona at the time. We got a place together in Newport Beach and it was beautiful. And he spent an off season there and he just realized he's not happy in California. He didn't like the overcast in the mornings. He didn't like the traffic. He didn't like the bougie people. It just wasn't for him. So when spring training came around in February, he said, I'm going back to Arizona and I'd love for you to come with me. And I decided, okay, let's do it. You know, we were in love. We'd been together for a year and a half at that point. So I moved to Arizona. I turned over my office to a manager that started running our headquarters in LA. I started consulting for a year and a half. So I'd travel like three, four days a week to visit my offices all over the country, which worked out really well when he was in season. If he was playing in San Francisco, guess what I did? I went on the road to San Francisco, visited my office, ran my meetings, and then I would go watch him play at night. If he was up in Milwaukee, I'd go fly into my Chicago office, visit them, do my thing, and then go and watch him play in Milwaukee. So that worked out really well. And then a year and a half into that, I had an offer to to exit the business. And I, I accepted the offer. I took it. And in 2018, Kyle and I got married. 2019, we had our baby. 2020, COVID hit. 2021, <laughs> here we are. Do you think that Kyle was an inter uh, like an in, like a like a key component into your healing the beginning aspects of what would become Niku and where you would go and we're going to talk about it but do you think that was kind of like a nudge from the universe like a saving grace Yeah I think the universe was telling me you can slow down I'm going to bring this beautiful amazing angel into your life so that you don't have to grind this way and you can heal yourself and I accepted that for a year and I spent time focusing on my passions, focusing on the things that I truly believed in. That's when I went and got certified to be a holistic health coach in 2015. And I went and got certified to be a Pilates trainer in 2016. And I started my studio in 2017. And then my old habits came back in. I, I started to become that workaholic again. And that's what I'm really focusing on right now. Breaking is that perfectionism disease and that workaholic disease because it's not healthy do you think you can live a filled life by losing those habits and morphing into new habits one million percent without a doubt amazing okay so so we talked about the depression we understand you know you're in this constant battle it was accompanied by anxiety um and you are we're are at a point where you're just like, I believe I can heal. Um, I believe there are, there's something out there for me to do. And do you think that's kind of why you had this infinity to gut health? Did you understand what gut health was before you were getting into it? Or were you just kind of drawn to it? I was always drawn to holistic health. So learning about integrative wellness and natural remedies outside of your normal prescription drugs and chemicals. I was very drawn to that in 2016. Um, I was very drawn to mindfulness techniques, ho'oponopono, ways of helping lower the cortisol levels through breath work and intention and visualization. And it wasn't until I was diagnosed with postpartum depression 
that I started to go on this journey of how to heal it without taking SSRIs again, because I had a horrible experience of that, as you heard from 15 to 22, that I started to learn about gut health and the gut brain connection. So it was really last year, Leslie, when I started to go see seven different doctors, a primary care physician, OBGYN, gastroenterologist, two different naturopaths, functional medicine doctor, two different hormone specialists. And I started to go on this deep dive of how can I heal myself, my mood and my depression without taking these medications that a naturopath said, based on all the side effects you're telling me, I think you have this disease in your gut called SIBO. And she did the SIBO test with me. It was a two hour test. I had to breathe into these little vials, came back positive. I had leaky gut. And all the symptoms of leaky gut were consistent with all the symptoms I'd been dealing with from 15 to 22. The constipation, the mental like fatigue, that brain fog, that inflammation, chronic bloating right after I would eat, all of those were symptoms of leaky gut that no one else really related it to. So I've probably been experiencing it for well over a decade, for 15 years. And my son, who you know at the time I was pregnant with him, he has it now. Because if the mother has leaky gut, she has SIBO, she passes it on to the baby and he has it. We've, it's very apparent. So I'm trying to help him heal his leaky gut. Um, for me, I didn't want to take three weeks of antibiotics, which was the prescription, the solution for leaky gut. So I went into reading about well, gut the prescription health from one perspective. Right. Yeah, that, that was the prescription from the doctor. And then I started to talk to the naturopath. What are some more holistic ways, some more... Um, integrative wellness, natural remedies that I could do to heal my leaky gut. And she said, let's get rid of these inflammatory foods. Let's get rid of sugar completely because the sugar is feeding the bad bacteria, the candida. Let's go ahead and get rid of um, a lot of vegetables and fruits that are causing the inflammation. And in doing that, I completely healed my SIBO 100% through food and meditation. And let's just back up. So let me just do let's cause some people may not know what SIBO is. And basically it's it it's a it's a small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Um and you know, it's not by any means a new condition, but it's an under evaluated condition that people aren't really looking at. And it basically when the stomach and the small intestines, um, they're designed to, you know, be able to be free of micro microorganisms. And the reason is that the presence of microorganisms overgrowing in the small intestine would set up a scenario where they start utilizing various nutrients before they have had a chance to absorb. So the result is in fermentation of carbohydrates and um, pertrification of proteins. And this can produce the gas as well as digestive symptoms and resemble something that, you know, I believe is a label, the IBS, as well as some additional company symptoms that are closely associated. So the abdominal pain and distension, um, all, um, bowel function, constipation or diarrhea, the, the, a lot of mucus in, in the feces, um, depression, anxiety, um, brain fog, fatigue, joint pain. Um, and really the only way to do it is through breath testing. I mean, we can look at the dose, but it, it has to involve the patient ingesting a dose of either glucose or lacto lactulose um and then breathing into a collection bag every 20 minutes um to measure the hydrogen and methane so um 
this is usually you're going to find that the gases are not um, exposed like there's not a lot, a high amounts, but with SIBO, the levels can be really, really high. And one of the two sugars for testing the glucose usually gives you more meaningful results. So that's kind of how we kind of figure out what that is. And it's actually really common. And like Niku said, a mom who's pregnant, you pass, actually it's three generations um, of, of uh, the microbiome that can be passed into, into a baby. So I just wanted to give a little Cole's notes on, you know, what SIBO was, but, you know, just while we're here, you go, what were your bowel movements like, or were they completely non-existent? Constipated. I would turn a bowel once every three to four days. My husband was like, that's not normal. Um, and it wasn't like painful. I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't clear. It was horrible. Um, sometimes I would have diarrhea, but for the most time it was constipation. Yeah. So everything you ate affected you, you would be bloated, you'd be uncomfortable. Like that's, totally. that's what happens. And this is why, like, I love the topic of shit because people are full <laughs> of shit and like, literally. they're literally rotting. Yeah. Literally and figuratively people are rotting from the inside out and they're mm-hmm. fermenting and, um, it's, it's brutal and people don't realize like an, a regular bowel movement is one to two sorry, two to three bowel movements a day is considered normal. Okay. So let's go back to, you know, kind of where, where you're at right now, um, in, in your career, where you are in your health. Um, I want to talk about, you know, what was instrumental in your climb up? Yeah. So like I mentioned last year, I spent, all of August and September healing my gut. It was five weeks of completely eliminating sugar from my diet and holistically resetting my gut through food. And in that time, I really started to focus on meditation, prayer, and mindfulness. And I was able to heal my gut. So my SIBO test came back negative and it was all through food. My doctor couldn't believe it. She was plant-based. So when I told her I started to have a ton of fat and a ton of animal products, she's like, there's no way. I feel like you're probably so deficient in so many nutrients. So she did blood work on me to make sure I didn't have all these deficiencies. And my blood work actually came back way better. And my hormone panels came back way better than they were two months before when I had done the SIBO test before I did my reset. So I'm, I'm on this mission right now. I've, I've created a gut reset course for women that are dealing with postpartum depression, anxiety, mood disorders, chronic bloating, chronic inflammation, joint pain, skin issues like acne, psoriasis, rosacea, um, and anything from in autoimmune, like the meal plans that I've created are specific to autoimmune disease, PCOS. They do help support fertility. I've had a success story with someone that was dealing with infertility for three years. She did my gut reset program for five weeks. And then she got naturally pregnant without even trying three months later. That's not a coincidence. And I've had a hundred percent success rate with all the women that have gone through my program since October of 2020. And now we're doing our official launch May 1st, this Saturday, for the program to the public. So I'm really excited about that. That's what I'm working on. It's guided. It's six weeks with me, weekly calls, meal plans, shopping lists, all curated, recipes, all curated, guided meditations recorded by me. Um, and then you also get movement too. You get access to my Elevated Tribe, which is live and on demand. So that's been that's been my focus. Amazing. And so 
for those of you who don't know, Nico and I have very different perspectives on <laughs> the heal on the healing because she's very into the keto and I'm very into the plant based. Yet we're both focusing on very similar things in terms of fertility, hormones, um, gut health, of course. Um, and it's interesting, you know, to see her success, to see my success, to not say, you know, everybody's different and um, there's people who can meet you exactly you know where you are and it doesn't mean if i say to you you know plant plants for me are healing and nico will be like well you know maybe maybe she has a different opinion and you know what that's totally i'm here for that like i respect you and your work and you have you know the clout to say you know i've helped so many people be able to do it and and first you have to help yourself um talk to me about you know detoxification like what does that mean to you I need to learn more about it from you because I know you're the queen of detoxification. For me, when I do detoxes, I eliminate sugar. I eliminate alcohol completely. Um, I detox all the things that are negative in my life that cause me to not feel well mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. So things that physically don't make me feel good are, I don't do well with a lot of nuts. Like nuts don't do good for me. Almonds, they do cause me a lot of GI issues. So I'm very like aware of the foods that make me not feel well. So when I detox, I completely get rid of all those things. Um, mentally, people, situations, opportunities that don't serve my mind, I get rid of that. Emotionally, things that don't make me feel good, I get rid of those things. And then spiritually, anything that's not spiritually aligned with what I believe my purpose, my passion, and my vibe is, I really, I don't care how good the opportunity is, I'm going to say no. So that's, that's how I've kind of detoxed as of late, but I want to learn detoxification from you in the form of detoxing the body from the inside out. We will do that. We will definitely do that. I want to, I want to ask you another question is describe the difference between your postpartum depression and depression. Oh my God. That's such a good question. I'm so happy you asked. So the depression I experienced from 15 to 22 was more a it was a sadness. Like I was sad all the time. Um, I didn't feel like I had a purpose being here anymore. I, I, I just say I didn't feel good. It was either I wanted to eat all the time or I didn't eat at all. I wanted to sleep all the time or I didn't sleep at all. And I just, I just really had no, no motivation. The postpartum depression was more fear-based. I had a fear of myself being alone by myself or with my baby. Um, cause I just didn't know if I had the energy to do the things I needed to do as a mother for him. Like when he would have a dirty diaper, there was times when I'd be like, do I have to change that dirty diaper right now? And it wasn't because I didn't want to, it was just like, I was so depressed. I had no energy. I had no desire. I had no motivation. I couldn't push myself to do it. I did it, but it was really hard. There were times when, again, trigger warning, and I don't, I, my husband's going to get pissed when he hears this, but I was driving to the gym Child one day. Earmuffs. Seriously. Um, I was driving to the gym one day and I remember Kai was in the car and I just had all these fears. Like, oh my gosh, what if someone ran this light right now and hit us and killed us? Like I would have all these like visions of Kai and I dying together. And I think some of that comes from my birth story because we had a pretty dramatic um, 
delivery, shall we say, when I was pushing, Kai had the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck twice. So the more I pushed, the more he got choked. So as he's being delivered, his he had a pulse. So when you look at the monitor, he had a heartbeat, but he wasn't breathing in the birth canal. And the more I pushed, the the worse it became and the pulse started to faint and faint and faint. So when he was born, he was blue as a blueberry. He wasn't crying. The NICU team was in there um, rushing him off to try to get him to cry, to breathe, to take that first breath. And I was sitting there thinking, I just had a stillborn baby. Um, and that triggered some of the depression. And then that kind of led to the postpartum depression I had, which was a lot of fears. Like I would have dreams all the time of him drowning and me drowning. I'd have fears that we were dying together. Um, yeah, there was many times that I would just be on my own and I'd be like, maybe I should just take my life away right now because he'd be better off without me. Cause I just, I, I had no identity anymore. I didn't understand this new mom identity. I didn't know how to do that and be a wife and be a business owner. And I was just really struggling to feel comfortable in my skin. I'd look in the mirror and just be uncomfortable. Like I was like, this felt like an out of body experience. Who is this person? What happened to me? Like, why am I walking around peeing my pants? Like, what is this? Right. When you have a natural baby, when you have a natural birth, and then it's a traumatic birth where they're trying to get him out of you as fast as possible because he's not breathing. And they have an emergency episiotomy where they cut me like second degree plus, that's going to cause some incontinence. And for someone that had a pelvic floor as strong as mine was from all the Pilates that I did, walking around peeing my pants anytime I sneezed or coughed or just walking was super embarrassing. Doing some of my yoga moves like handstand and headstand and literally queefing every freaking time was super embarrassing. I was not happy with my body. Um, and I was not comfortable with this, this situation. I, and I, I didn't think it would ever change. So yeah, there was times as, you know, in postpartum depression where I was like, I don't know what I did, but this isn't what I signed up for. I don't, I don't think I want this anymore. And of and course, about you know my that, life. I'm sorry, but you know that now I'm sure as a mom and, you know, you're around all your mom friends that you know yeah. that that story is not just your story, right? Like no, I'm not a mom, so, but I know that that's so common. right. Yeah, and, I, I mean, mean all, sleep, all my friends piss themselves. We all pee ourselves. And for the mamas that are listening, I fixed it for myself. I figured out how to train my pelvic floor to heal my episiotomy scar. So if you need help, let me know. I got you. I don't pee my pants anymore. The queefing issue is still kind of an issue when I go upside down, but we're working on that too. It's not an every time thing now. It's like a 30% of the time thing, but it's, it's getting better. It's part of why There's I don't- There's nothing wrong with all- there's nothing wrong with a little queef. Come on. Mm-hmm. It's totally I went fine. to a yoga class two weeks ago, Leslie, and, and my teacher was like, all right, and now we do handstand. Niku, go. And I'm like, because I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to queef or not. Like, no way. <laughs> nope, not doing it. I was like, sorry, my wrist hurts today. <laughs> a queef is a vagina fart for those who don't know. It's really that's, embarrassing. That's really what it is. <laughs> and I think if you have a vagina, you've definitely queefied. So... That's interesting because there's a difference, right? Uh, and nobody really talks about that fourth trimester, which I think we need a lot of um, we need a lot of education around that because women have no clue. It's like you have this baby and you're handed the baby, and it's like go home and figure it out. Um, yeah. And that's every first parent. So I think it's really important. Actually, um, we should do that. Maybe maybe you'll come back and we can we could do the fourth trimester because I think that's really 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 important. 
I would love um, that. And you know what's interesting is like when Nico and I met and we had some conversations, I said to her, well, why don't you take CBD? And she's like, no, I'm not doing it. I won't take <laughs> CBD. And, uh, you know. I was so scared of it. Yeah. Now? I love it. I have my four drops in the morning, my four drops in the evening. I sleep so much better. I wear a whoop. So it measures my sleep efficiency and it's increased from 42% to over 70%. It's been great. It's been a game changer for me and I don't feel like I'm addicted to marijuana. So it's good. Woohoo. And she started with the blend. So now she's a lifer because I gave her a good first experience. So I'm so happy that that's, you know, it's helped you. Okay. So I want to know what were your main three of your main coping tools then and today for dealing with those feelings? The depressive feelings or the suicidal thoughts? Whatever that, however you want to answer it. My three main things. Uh, Number one, prayer, knowing that I'm not alone, even in my loneliest times when I feel like there's no reason for me to be here. I'm isolated. I have no purpose returning back to my faith. And some for the majority of my life, that faith was connected connection to God. So I would literally get down on my hands and knees and just pray. Um, but there was a huge portion of my life when my father was going through cancer. And after he passed away from his battle with cancer, that I didn't believe in God. And it was in those times that I would run to my yoga mat because that became my, my connection to source energy. I would connect to my breath. I'd connect to the moment. I would connect to vibration and frequency around me. So I am into that woo-woo stuff. Like I can sit and meditate and feel the goosebumps and I can feel connection. And yeah, it's pretty magical. So that's number one. It's having some sort of a spiritual connection, whatever that looks like for you. Um, Number two, it's having someone that you really trust, that you know you can be completely open, honest, authentic, and vulnerable to them, and calling them and saying, I'm in a really low place right now. I need to talk. Cry to them. Vent to them. So they can just listen. They don't need to tell you what to do. Like You don't need to have necessarily a therapist that's going to be like, do this, this, and this. But for me, it was one of my best friends who was a bridesmaid in my wedding. She is one of Kai's three godmoms. That's how bad my depression was. I gave him three godmoms just in case we were all crazy. Um, <laughs> but but I would I call her. I'd be like, I am so messed up right now. Like I just need to cry. I need to vent. I need you to know like where I'm coming from. I, I just need you to hear me out. So that's number two. You have to have someone or some place that you can go to and talk and not be alone. So number one, spirituality. Number two a person. And then number three, you need to have techniques and tools that are going to help ground you in the present moment and help bring joy to your life. For me, that's always been movement and community. I love to move. So when I work out, I'm releasing all these great hormones that are making me feel really good. They make me feel confident. So working out has been a saving grace for me. And the more that I do work out, the better I feel. And I'm not addicted to working out by any means. There are some weeks where I only work out two days a week. This week, I I just went to the gym today, 30 minute session, threw out, threw around some weight, no big deal. Other weeks I might work out four days, but as a mom, I'm busy. I don't have time for my one, two hour workouts. Like I used to, before I had a baby right now, I get it in when I can. And sometimes it's just 30 minutes during his nap. I do some stretching, some Pilates, some yoga, and I connect my mind to my body to this present moment. And that's really been a huge saving grace for me. Okay. So those are great, great tools. Okay. We're coming to the end here, but I want to understand why or what you believe, why is there so much stigma around depression? Uh, 
I don't know. I, I don't know if people are being fake with themselves because I think more people experience depressive feelings, again, at different levels, right? I might have felt a level 10 back in the day. I might have been a level eight last year with my postpartum. But I think everyone to a certain degree, if they're truly being honest with themselves, they feel depression. It could be when they're experiencing a loss in their career, a loss in their finances, a loss with a relationship or a loss of a loved one. We all feel depression at different levels, but no one's willing to have that conversation because they're like, this isn't normal. They only want to talk about the good times, not the bad times. And I want to destigmatize that. Like, it's okay to say you're not okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Because when you do that, you allow yourself to be vulnerable. You actually open up the realm of possibilities and opportunities for people to come in and help you. So I don't know why people do that. I don't know why it's so stigmatized. I don't get it. And then, we'll, and then when we talk about it, it also gives per, uh, permission to other people to be like, oh, maybe it's not just me. Because I truly believe a lot of people who suffer really feel completely alone and they don't know 100%. what to do. So I think that, uh, you know, and it's interesting how you categorize that, you know, that everybody probably at some point or another has felt it. I sure as hell know what it feels like to be in that dark hole, not believing that there was any light or even thinking that my life would ever continue um, to, to become who I am, which who I, I, I fucking love myself now, but it took, <laughs> it took work, you know, it took, it took and, a lot of work. And we love you too, Leslie. Thanks friend. Thanks friend. Um, okay. So I have two last questions. The, the next question is, um, what is it? What do I want to ask you? I want, I, I definitely want to know, you know, what do you wish you knew at 15? Such a good question. So I'm working on my inner child right now, um, in my therapy. And I wish I could go back and sit down with that 15 year old and tell her everything's going to be okay. Regardless of your dad and his journey and his battle against cancer, everything's going to be okay. Like you're going to have a legacy. It's going to give you a purpose. Fast forward 10 years later, that purpose became having a very strong partnership in association with the Lymphoma Leukemia Society, helping further that cause and help a cure for blood cancer, which blood cancers, if you can find a cure for blood cancer, lymphoma leukemia, you can solve over 80% of the other cancers because they're, they're all blood related in certain sense. So now part of my legacy is helping them. Um, another part of it is just realizing like the gift of life, like you are going to realize it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but you're going to realize how fortunate you are to be living, to wake up every day with your breath, to wake up every day with a body that moves in the way that it moves for you, to have this appreciation for something as simple as that, just this new day. And not only that, but you're going to be blessed with so many blessings in the form of knowledge, wisdom, education to share with other people that are currently where you are today that you couldn't have shared with them if you didn't go through the things that you're going through right now. So know that this is part of your journey. This is part of your legacy and that God, higher power, the universe only puts the strongest through the most that he knows will be able to sustain and to come through that challenge, right? So those that have gone through the most the universe is testing them in a way that they already know you're going to pass the test. It's your job to figure it out, to get through it, and then to speak and empower and inspire and motivate others. B 
behind you that are going to go through the exact same things, but you can't empower them and motivate them without that education, without that wisdom, without that experience. So I tell the 15 year old girl, Hey, you're strong. You're a badass. You're going to be okay. The universe is on your side. God is on your side. Source energy is on your side. Just get through this, learn from this, document your journey. You're going to share your story with the world and you're going to help millions upon millions of other young 15 year old girls that are going through this right now. Just don't be a, don't be a wimp. Beautiful. Yeah, it's true. We get tested. And and the funny thing is we come out, most of us come out the other side um, and can find that silver lining and it could take some time for sure. Okay. Gut health. Is it instrumental to healing? A million percent. It's level one. Like there's different levels to your healing, but it starts in the gut. The gut affects all other aspects of your life. It affects your mood. It affects your energy. It affects your sleep. It affects your hydration. It affects your ability to actually properly digest key nutrients. You might be eating all the healthy food in the world, but if your gut is messed up, doesn't matter what organic, awesome food you're putting into it, you're not able to absorb those nutrients. It all starts in the gut. You got to heal your gut. Yeah, it's the foundation. And just something that you said that I just want to go back to for two seconds. Nico said, you know, in five weeks, she healed her gut. Um, in, in my practice in 10 years, it takes, a, it, everybody's different. Everybody's different when it comes to healing the gut. It could take years. Um, it really depends what's going on. It depends, you know, who you're working with and what's, what, what the healing protocol looks like. And just because the symptoms start to dissipate, that is not when you stop healing. That's when you start, you need to push through that and do that. So I just wanted to touch on that because I think that's important too. Um, Can I touch on that, Leslie? Yeah, of course. So I really want the audience to understand that if you continue to do the things that cause you to have a damaged gut, you're going to re-damage your gut again. So it's one thing to heal your gut and go through these protocols and work with people that are specialists in helping you heal your gut. But if you're just going to go back to your old habits and eating the same way that you used to eat, doing the same things that you used to deal, all you're going to do is re-damage your gut. So you need to make a conscious effort to heal it and then learn how to keep it whole. Yeah. And that's also a big component is the mindset, right? Which I know you're a big advocate for is mindset because the mind is the most powerful tool in our body. And we need to make sure that's in check first before we can even begin to heal because healing is hard work. It's, it's, it's work. And it's, you know, something as simple as, you know, for, for, for myself is like just having a back surgery and going through that destroyed my microbiome. So I had to do it all over again, you know, so we have to be mindful and preventative in our lifestyles to really live in the most, like with the best vitality so that we can, you know, when things throw us down, our our get back up is a little bit quicker. Um, Nico, where could people find you? So you can totally reach out to me on Instagram. My DMs are open and that's at Nikuela, N-I-K-O-U-E-L-A. You can also email me directly, nikuloche at gmail.com. That's N-I-K-O-U-L-O-H-S-E at gmail.com. If you're interested in booking a discovery call with me, I do free 20-minute consultations to kind of see what your current situation is physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to give you guidance, whether it's in mindset coaching or getting you moving again. I do mostly low impact work, Pilates, yoga bar, yin yoga stretch. I do offer some HIIT as well, but I can get you a free week of that going. So you can do that on demand in the comfort of your own home. Work out anytime, anywhere with me, just push play. 
or join me Wednesday mornings for a live session. First class is free. So however I can help you, whether it's physically in movement, it's with mindset coaching and some of the mindfulness things that I've been working on, or it's creating community, come and join our Elevated Tribe. We have an amazing community of people, mostly women globally, that are here to help connect you and help you find the best version of you possible. Love it and love your face and love you and your soul and your commitment to yourself and your family. And you're just a beautiful human being. And I'm so glad that our our paths have now crossed and I can call you a friend. And thank you for saying yes to being on the Holistic Bitches Unfiltered podcast. You are great, great information. And thanks for being vulnerable. You're so welcome. Thank you for allowing me to be vulnerable and holding such a safe space. I really appreciate you. My pleasure. And with that, my friends, we will be back soon with the Holistic Bitches Unfiltered. Thank you, Niku. And I cannot wait to, we're going to do this again. We'll have more Niku and Leslie conversations because this one was a good one. So I love you and um, go get your little baby boy and give him a kiss for me. Love you. Flex it. Flex it. Love you, girl. Thank you for tuning in to the Holistic Bitches Unfiltered podcast. I hope you got what you came for and you're eager to return for future episodes. My one ask is that you hit the subscribe button and if you could be so kind to leave a raving review. Sending you so much love, light, healing, and inspiration to be a better you. Peace out, friends.